Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Mick and Jake. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mick. Welcome back to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Jake Gunderson, as well as AGF team member and author of 3D iOS Games by Tutorials, Chris Language. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Thank you. Now, Chris, I'll flip the proverbial egg timer. You've got 20 minutes. Off you go. WWDC 2016 was awesome. It certainly did not disappoint. Uh, Apple released Xcode 8 along with Swift 3, which is obviously still in beta. SpriteKit received some serious love uh, with updates like TileMap support. But most importantly, SceneKit also received some serious love, which brings us to the reason why you invited me. Um, One of the new features that um, was introduced this year to SceneKit is the new physical-based lighting model. Uh, also known as uh, physical-based shader or physical-based rendering. Now, this is quite huge. Uh, SceneKit already supports quite a few lighting models, like flat shading, Lambert shading, Blin, Fong, and now, obviously, physical-based shading. Physical-based shading incorporates a refined model of uh, interactions between real-world lights and materials. So combined with high dynamic range effects and uh, environmental lighting, physical-based shading produces a very, very realistic result. Results so spectacular, you could uh, even go as far as comparing them to recent animated uh, feature forms. Physical-based shading relies um, primarily on three material properties. The traditional diffuse map, which provides uh, the base color of your material. And then they introduced, uh, specifically for physical-based modeling, uh, 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 lighting, they introduced two new properties called metalness and uh, roughness. So what exactly do they mean by metalness? Metalness uh, defines how uh, metallic or non-metallic a surface is. Uh, You can control this uh, property with a single scalar value, or you can provide a grayscale texture where white means fully metallic and black means fully non-metallic. This gives you great control over the finishing result where parts of the single object can be metallic or non-metallic. Then moving on to roughness, and obviously the reverse of roughness is smoothness. Now, roughness defines how uh, rough or smooth a surface is. Uh, Just like betelness, you can also control this property with a single scalar value, or you can provide a grayscale texture where white means uh, very smooth and black means very rough. Again, this gives you great control over the finishing result where parts of a single object can be smooth or rough per se. Then the next um, great feature that was added is environmental lighting. Uh, lighting. Um, The SEN scene uh, now has a new property called uh, lighting environment. This essentially is uh, an image placeholder for a cube map. 
So this works similar to how the background uh, skybox property works. Uh, the cool thing about lighting environment is that it's used in conjunction with physical-based materials for lighting and reflections. It's also important to mention that you can control the lighting environment's intensity for special effects purposes, for example. Then, just uh, taking one step back to talk more about uh, cube maps, uh, SceneKit now has better support for cube maps. A cube map is basically a single image containing smaller, equally sized images uh, for all the faces of a typical cube. So a skybox, for example, makes use of a cube map, right? SceneKit now supports various flavors of cube maps, where previously uh, you only had uh, a single method of providing this. So traditionally, you had to supply an image with smaller images that uh, those smaller images were then placed next to each other in a long uh, strip, for example. And that, that is now known as a horizontal strip uh, cube map. Now, with the updated features, not only can you supply a horizontal strip image, which is a 1 by 6 ratio image, you can supply a vertical strip, which is a 6 by 1 ratio image. And uh, you can also supply flavors like uh, horizontal cross images, uh, cube maps, where the image is a 3 by 4 ratio image. And uh, also a vertical cross cube map where the ratio is a 4 by 3 ratio image. A very cool one that they support now is spherical maps. This is a typical 1 by 2 ratio image. And um, a good example of that would be, for example, the uh, Google Street Maps. Those street views that you get there is a, a spherical map. I wanted to ask you some questions a little more about the physical based, physically based rendering. I watched the WWDC session, and they did talk a lot about the physical based rendering. And they show how you know they they have the, an example of a mine cart and like a train or a fire engine, a few things, and they show kind of the before and after of being able to use the physical based rendering, and it and it definitely looks much more realistic and much better. But True. as I was listening to the session, I just I was wondering. A couple things. One was, is this is physical based rendering something that's like a standard industry thing that's used in other places, or is this something Absolutely. Apple's kind of come up with? Okay, well, so this Apple, they've like Apple, they're importing this from like industry. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So so Apple probably came up with it. If you if you take a look at um, uh, Pixar, for example, these these guys are driving technology, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so they probably came up with um, physical based uh, rendering the concept. But uh, what's, what's really cool is it uh, reduces the amount of uh, textures that you typically would use with uh, the other uh, lighting models uh, to just using these three basic uh, properties, which is the diffuse, the metalness, and uh, the roughness. Yeah, it, it, it reduces the strain on your, your artists significantly, and it improves the, the actual quality significantly. Uh, better. Okay. So it seems more intuitive. One one thing I've struggled with when I've played with Scene Kit is there's so many dials that you can tweak that I've never know. I, I don't have a very good sense of how to get to the look that I want. I, I've just got too many options, and I and I don't have enough experience to know. You know, what if I want a a flat, low poly lighting look like some of the art that I see? I have no idea how to get there. Um, it does seem like the the physical, the physically based rendering is 
is more intuitive, easier to understand how to get from where you are to where you want to be? Um, I think so. I think so. It's a, it's a like a like you mentioned before. It is an industry industry standard, uh, specifically with the the movie industry now. Uh, most of the stuff that you see in theaters, uh, your animated movies, all of those um, characters are physically based materials. Okay, to to actually create a character. Yeah, the, the, with the the roughness, for example, you can reproduce. Uh, they call it micro um, facets that actually reproduces a surface quality to a much higher standard than what you can do by it pro- uh, pro- providing a normal map, for instance. So mm. you can still you can still use a normal map, but typically you would use that for for less. Um, uh, not as detailed uh, mm-hmm. surfaces where this mm-hmm. this rust so like is big map. like bigger bumps that's it would yeah. be you, in your you, normal map and then exactly mm-hmm. and then your roughness will will uh, contain the more micro level information of a surface and then is there a performance trade off compared to some of the more the models that we're more used to in years past. Does it, does it take more GPU? I haven't done any benchmarks on it yet. It is only supported by the latest uh, hardware uh, from, okay. from what I understand. So uh, I think there, there is probably going to be a performance dip when you move from uh, the traditional shader uh, options to this physical-based shader. So is, okay. is this something that people are going to use... Like exclusively oh, going forward, or you know, do the older sort of models still have their place, and and it's like depends on what type of thing you're trying to achieve, or depend on which which model you go yeah. with. Yeah, I think it depends on what what um, result you're looking for. Uh, if you if you want to go for something more traditional, like your uh, voxel based graphics, uh, physical based modeling or rendering will mean nothing for your typical voxel type of game. But uh, if you want to create something that's really shiny, like a let's say like a space uh, shooter game, for example, where you have you've got a rocket ship that's uh, got a metal uh, frame that you want to make real shiny, f- uh, physical based um, shader uh, will will actually bump that up to a next level of realism. Oh, okay, so in in the book, um, you create a Crossy Roads clone. You wouldn't use this for that. You would use one of the, the sort of uh, older methods to achieve that look. This is for True. something where where realism is is paramount, really. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. And then the absolutely. other question I had was: you mentioned that mm. some of these, um, like the the metalness, can be set using a scalar value. Is that yeah. something that then you can animate over time, or is it something that you can you have to set <laughs> once and then forget? So most of the the properties in SceneKit is they call it animatable. So yes, that's that color value can be animated over time. So yeah, you can create. Uh, let's say you've got a, a a game where the car starts off dirty, and uh, as you upgrade it, you make it a bit more shinier and shinier and shinier over time. So you can definitely do that with that uh, bumping up that value. From from one side to the other side. Okay, cool. and and all this as well is configurable in the sort of the Xcode 
sync editor as well, I assume. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So you can see it all in real time as you're playing with, with these different properties. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on to the next part, uh, which is uh, the SyncKit lights. You can now control uh, the light temperature and intensity, uh, which was not possible in the past. Uh, in the past, you were only able to control a light's color. So that's a really cool um, addition to lights that they've added. And that's to all light types. Um, also, they've now added two new light types. Uh, the one is, I, uh, they call it IES lights, and the other type is light probes. Now, um, IES lights, uh, IES stands for Illuminating in Engineering Society. Uh, this is just the industry standard uh, used to describe characteristics of physical lights. Uh, it's typically used by manufacturers to profile their products. Now, from a coding perspective or developer perspective, you can go and download those uh, IES files from various manufacturer sites. You can then load that light profile into um, an IES light uh, used in SceneKit. So that's really cool stuff that they've added um, for lights. Light so I probes, think I, mm. I think this the IES light thing. I think this is worth a little bit more explanation. So when they when I first watched the session, I was like, wait a minute, they're they're talking about like lights in the real world, like the yeah. lamp that you buy at Home Depot. You can Absolutely. get a description of the quality of that light and import it into a 3D renderer. Which I was like, oh wait, I didn't realize we were that close to like reality, <laughs> which I thought yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. So. I think the main focus for this year's um, updates to SceneKit is to to push that uh, realism factor to the nth degree. And um, I've never seen actually um, this amount of features pushed into SceneKit to the degree that Apple did. It's truly amazing, I must say. For the, the, the IES lights, uh, for example, um, traditionally you've got a spotlight Okay, that's built. That's a built-in light type of SceneKit. Now, a spotlight is like a perfect cone-shaped light that you can shine on on the objects in the scene. Now, with IES lights, that cone has got artifacts that typically, for example, a flashlight. If you think about a flashlight, you've got like a very bright uh, center of the flashlight area, and then it it dims out to the sides, and maybe you've got like a a light ring around the, the edges, for example. So all that information is typically stored in uh, this information. So yeah, it, it's going to bump up the, the realism of light um, effects in SceneKit significantly. I was, I was amazed. <laughs> so do you, do you think these type of advancements are placing SceneKit much closer to something like Unity? Or, or is, it, is Apple, with these advancements, taking SceneKit in a different direction? Um, I think they're, they're trying to move in the same direction as uh, Unity. It's not, I don't think they target the same audience. Um, they keep on highlighting the fact that um, your typical scene kit game is, is not a high-end game um, like uh, Doom, for example. It's more a, a casual type of game that you would create with scene kit. But uh, with the, these amounts of features that they're adding uh, to it, the quality of the games that you're going to see with SceneKit now is going to look so, so much more uh, real and, and polished than ever before. Okay, so the, the next thing I was about to talk about was uh, light probes. 
So um, light probes are actually not lights, although it's uh, seen as an additional light. Uh, it doesn't generate light. A light probe is placed within a scene, and it then samples localized colors and light intensity around that single point in space. Um, that sampled information is then uh, used within the shading of a physical-based material uh, on that material's location within a scene. So um, the result, for example, is when you place a, a white object between a red wall and a blue wall, for example, the, those walls radiate colors um, off them, right? So that white object between those walls will, with a, a light probe, will be able to have a slight tint of red on the one side and a slight tint of blue on the other side. So it's, again, pushing that realism factor even further. One of the biggest features that uh, received a lot of love this year was the, the camera, um, the SceneKit camera. Uh, the, the new features includes things like uh, HDR post-processing effects, uh, automatic exposure adaption, We've got uh, contrast and saturation control, uh, color grading, bloom effects. Uh, we've got color fringe effects, uh, vignette effect, and also motion blur effects. So these are all things that's built into the camera uh, where previously you didn't even have all those things together. The only thing that was available was um, blur effects of the, the focal point that you could control. So um, just to talk about the HDR, that means um, that stands for high dynamic range. Uh, HDR makes your bright colors brighter, your dark colors darker. And uh, it also, uh, it doesn't fade the mid-range colors. So it's truly amazing. Uh, HDR gives you the ability to use a much wider uh, range of colors. Uh, which will make uh, your content look more lifelike, for example, to the human eye, which uh, will definitely appreciate that wider color range. So again, this is bleeding edge stuff. Um, even, um, I don't know if you guys know, it, uh, the new Xbox that's coming out later this year uh, boasts about uh, HDR capabilities. Then we've got uh, automatic exposure adaption. This is a really cool feature that uh, pushes that realism also even further for the camera. So... Think of when you walk out of a dark building into uh, bright sunlight. Your eyes need to adapt to that brighter uh, condition, right? And uh, that's basically what auto-exposure adaption is. It uh, mimics that effect exactly like that. Uh, then another feature that was added to the camera is uh, color grading. This allows you to control your own color palette by uh, providing your very own set of colors that can be used. Bloom effects, again... This is focusing more on that realism, uh, realism factor. This effect uh, creates uh, that hazy mist effect around bright highlights in a scene. And then the very last feature of the camera um, and uh, list of features that was added to scene kit is, uh, they call it the color, f uh, color fringe effects. Now this effect is, uh, again, they reproduce uh, an artifact that's um, in optical lenses when you take a photo and um, you've got a point in your photo where you've got contrasting wavelengths that meets. And uh, typically optics will create like a, a blue type of uh, artifact between those two contrasting colors. So uh, this color fringe effect 
reintroduces that artifact in, into your final rendered image. So also really cool stuff. Um, and then, yeah, that, that, that's basically all the new features for, for SceneKit this year. Um, but uh, one thing I need to mention is um, the tech demos. So last year we had uh, the Fox demo, which uh, was originally uh, based uh, on Objective-C. Um, it was later the year updated to Swift. Okay. Then this year they released a new tech demo called Badger. And uh, Mick, you, you mentioned that with the, the cart um, and things. So Badger is an awesome little game where you control a badger that uh, has to collect gems while riding on a coal cart around a massive railroad track through a mining site. Um, the key features to point out about this tech demo is that all of the assets in this tech demo are physically based assets. So everything has been modeled with the new physical based lighting model. Uh, it also shows off a massive constructed level, which is pretty amazing. If you open up that file um, to see that amount of level assets and uh, content, it's, it's amazing stuff. It also makes use of uh, light probes, which are placed all over the level to, to sample uh, lighting conditions everywhere. So there's, there's parts where you go under uh, underground and uh, into tunnels and things like that. So the light probes are specifically designed for, for areas like that. And uh, also there's a few hidden gems. Uh, if, you, if you take a close, closer look at the level, you'll find things like uh, rippling water effects, uh, which are shaders that's running in the background to create those water effects with normal maps. Really, really cool stuff. Uh, also, um, the most impressive part of it all is that um, the actual game only consists of uh, out of 400 lines of Swift code. That's just that alone is uh, some feature. And that's it. That, that, uh, that's the end of my, my story. Okay, great. Well, I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put you on the spot now. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, don't fi- don't feel pressured into answering this because we can always cut it out. Um, <laughs> can anybody that has bought your book expect an update that's going to include some of these changes? Yeah. So as we speak, um, I should be working on my book because um, we are currently busy with updates. Uh, so we've incorporated, we're busy incorporating all these new features into the book. We've also updated uh, all the projects to Xcode 8 and uh, Swift 3. So yes, the book is undergoing uh, massive changes, uh, specifically uh, to add all these new features into the book. So yeah, don't tell Tammy because uh, she's my uh, project manager on this book. And uh, if she finds out I'm spending time with you guys, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right, Chris, uh, we are going to have to wrap it up there, uh, as I'm afraid that's all the time we have. Uh, but it was great to hear about some of these, these big changes. Uh, I wasn't expecting such big changges, but you know they clearly are big, uh, that Apple's introduced to Sync this year. And uh, you know, I'm sure, as we've just discussed, you know, readers of your book will now be eager to get their hands dirty and, and get their hands on that update when it's released. Before we move on to Jake's topic, we are just going to take a short break and hear about the this episode's sponsor. Hired is the platform for the best iOS developer jobs. Candidates registered with Hired receive an average of five offers on the platform, all from a single application. Companies looking to hire include Facebook, Uber and Stripe. With Hired, you get job offers 
and salary and or equity before you interview so you don't have to waste your time interviewing for jobs you might not end up wanting. And of course, it's totally free to use. Plus for you, our listeners, you will receive a $2,000 bonus from Hired if you find a job through their platform. Just for signing up using the show's exclusive link, hired.com forward slash Ray. Thanks again to Hired for sponsoring this episode of the RayWendlick.com podcast. Okay, Jake, over to you. Okay, so I was going to talk about some of the new features of Sprite Kit to kind of match up with the new Scene Kit stuff that Chris mentioned. Two of the big new features with Sprite Kit are a Scene Navigator. So it used to be that you had to use the jump bar in order to navigate through if you had lots of nodes uh, in a given scene. And nodes can be anything from... Uh, a node is, is equivalent to a view for those who, who aren't familiar with Sprite Kit. Uh, you can have empty nodes, like you can have empty views that just act as containers. And then you can have, you know, node, it, the, a node hierarchy can be quite complex. And so if you have lots of nodes on top of each other and you're trying to get to a specific node, you used to have to use the jump bar to do that. That's the little, the, the, the top line in, in, uh, inter- or in Xcode. Uh, that kind of tells you what file you're in and what method you're in. You had to use that to navigate to a specific node. Well, now we have an actual scene graph sidebar on the left that gives you a list of all your nodes in your scene graph. And then the other bigger, kind of cooler integration is with Gameplay Kit. So uh, we now have the ability to click on a node and set it to a component. And then you can have, you can annotate your components and your behaviors in your code so that the attributes of that particular behavior will show up in Interface Builder. So you can edit the variables. So for example, if you have, say, an enemy character and that enemy character has you know, a follow behavior, you can set the properties on that follow behavior, like how fast he follows in Interface Builder now. And you do have to annotate your code to do that, but it's easy. And it's, I mean, that's a huge, huge improvement to be able to just set that you had to do that all programmatically last year. Now you can do it through Interface Builder. Um, another one is the graph. So if you're doing path following behavior, you have to set up a graph, which is just kind of path following creates a system of nodes uh, in order to calculate how an enemy object, like an AI object, should follow the player. So let's suppose that you're in a maze and you have an enemy, and the enemy needs to chase the player through the maze, um, you have to set up a series of nodes in order to say, you know, what are the options for this enemy? Like, where can he go? And so you, you create a node graph that represents all the different choices the enemy can make. That can now also be done in Interface Builder. So that is very, very cool, and it can be visualized in Interface Builder. So that's great. Another uh, nice little thing is they've added State Machine Quick Look. So... It, you can put a breakpoint in your code and it will show you a visual representation of your state machine. And it'll show all the different states with arrows pointing to which states can, can go, you know, which states can transition into other states. So if none of that makes any sense to you, watch, watch the session. They do a great job. Um, the, uh, that's in the gameplay kit session. They do a great job of explaining the new... Uh, they mention it in the sprite kit session, but they give a lot more detail in the gameplay kit session about how Gameplay Kit and, and um, Sprite Kit are, are now connected in Interface Builder. It's very cool stuff. Um, but probably the biggest thing, the most exciting thing, and the thing I'll probably spend the most time talking about today, there's a few other little things, but is tile maps. So 
Anyway, I wrote the platform game starter kit for Ray, and we use the tile map game. So if you think if you don't know what a tile map is, you can think about uh, Super Mario Brothers. That the level is built out of tiles, which is to say that each section of the level is a is a square, usually thirty two by thirty two or sixty four by sixty four pixels, and you've got a, an image that's the tile map that represents all the different options, that has a picture for each different option of a tile. So you might have three or four different ground tiles. Uh, another example of a game is like Legend of Zelda. You know, you've got a rock tile and you've got a, a different water tiles and you've got tiles that represent edges between rock and water and land and water and you've got like bridge tiles. So all the different possible tiles are in a single image. And then... The tile map is basically the entire level. It, each square in the world has an index number that represents the image from the, from the tile set that is placed at that position in the world. The advantages of tile maps is that you can build very, very complex levels and the underlying image asset doesn't have to be equal to the size of the level. So a really long level can still be represented by just a series of indexes for all the different positions in the world and the indexes relate to an image from this tile set which is maybe you know maybe the tile set or the tile set has i don't know maybe 20 or 40 or even 100 tiles but that 100 tile uh tile set can then create a a map that could be potentially millions of tiles you know in size and so this is the advantage of tile tile maps that they make creating levels uh very dynamic you can make them very large but they can be represented on your device with very little memory. So that is a tile map. And like I say, if you're not sure what I mean, just think of like Mario Brothers or Legend of Zelda. Or um, you can also have isometric worlds where it's kind of a 2.5 uh, D view where you're kind of looking at an angle. And you can have you know tiles that are diamond shaped that represent kind of this top looking forward view. Um, so tile maps can be very dynamic. And so X, the, the new Sprite Kit now has both Xcode uh, interface builder integration and a bunch of classes to manage and handle tile maps. Uh, does that make sense, Mick? Yeah, yeah. I'm following okay. along. And I, okay. I have no okay, idea. <laughs> so what you can do now in interface builder is basically generate a, like create a tile set um, from individual tile images, and then you can paint right in your scene kit editor, you know, your level. Uh, that's cool. And there was a tool called Tiled that we use that I use when I built the platformer game starter kit. Uh, I use this tool called Tiled, and it it was the same thing. It was just a Java application, and I would, you know, go in, I would give it a tile set, and then I would paint my levels. And then it would generate an XML document that I then loaded up along with the actual image that was the entire tile set in my game in Xcode. Uh, But some of the, beyond just the straightforward, like now we can paint a level functionality, um, they have added a bunch of other kind of features to this tile mapping that are actually really, really cool. Things that I wish were in tiled. So if you think about, this is a little bit hard to explain without pictures, but if you think about like an island in your game in the middle of water. You have different tiles that represent boundaries. So you might have a tile whose left side is a boundary between 
uh, water and land. And you might have another tile that is, represents, say, the top right-hand corner of land that's a boundary with water. And you might have a left top corner, right? So you have these different tiles that represent the different boundaries between different kinds of tiles. And then in addition to that, you might have, so you don't have one land tile. You've got, you know, 15 different land tiles. Some, you've got uh, tiles that are edges. You've got tiles that are just the center of the land. And let's say you have maybe some alternates too. You might have a land tile that has a rock on it or a bush on it, or you might have some other details because you don't just want to use the same tile for every thing. That's going to be really bland and really boring. And so you'll have three or four or five different tiles that all represent kind of a center land tile. What Xcode is built in is something called auto mapping. And so you go in and you say, okay, I have a land tile and a land tile can be, if it's a center tile, it can be these four or five different images. And if it's a top left corner tile, it can be these two different images. And if it's a, you know, a right-hand border tile, it can be these two or three different images. And so your entire tile set that represents all the different possible land tiles might be you know, 15, or 15 or 20 tiles. But, but what you can do is you can tell Xcode how those are laid out and what corners they represent. And then you go in, you, you enable auto-mapping, and you can go in and you can basically paint land and it will figure out, oh, is this a top left corner? If it's a top left corner, I need, need to use the top left corner image. Is it a center tile? If it's center tile, I need to randomly pick from these two or three or four images. And you can assign weights to those images. So you can say every you know, 10% of the time I want a rock tile, 80% of the time I want a standard land tile, 10% of the time I want a bush tile. And then as you just go into Xcode and just paint your world, it will apply all this logic and figure out what tiles should go where. The process of building a world using auto mapping is sped up like five times. It's so much easier to use this auto mapping feature than it is to go in and manually say, okay, now here's all my corners. So I need to grab my corner tile and paint all the corners with a corner tile, which is what I had to do uh, in the platformer game starter kit. So this auto mapping uh, tile thing is very, very cool. It makes building tile maps quite pleasant and easy. Is that something that uh, like someone like me is going to be able to figure out from the outset? Or is that a tool, even though it's a tool that saves time, it does sound like it might if be you, something that's a little bit more advanced for, for somebody who's just approaching. Yeah. If you spend a few minutes watching the session, the WWD session, it will make sense to you. If it sounds confusing and technical and complicated, it's because it's hard. I'm not doing the best job of explaining it. But if you see it in action, it will make sense. Okay, cool. Well, um, we'll it's make not sure that, that complicated. Yeah. We'll, we'll make sure the videos go in the, in the show notes. And we actually, so um, Caroline Begbie actually wrote a tutorial for the site uh, that's specifically about auto mapping and building tile maps using the new features. Okay, has that been um, published then, is it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll make and it's sure. and it's perfect. So, I mean, if you're interested in that, read the tutorial, watch the session, and you'll be good to go. Um, and then the other thing that I haven't mentioned yet is you can also do um, animated tiles. So, if for, the example they use in the session is a shoreline, a water water tiles where the water kind of ebbs and flows like waves, um, and so those are a single tile for a single spot, but they have you know ten or fifteen frames of animation included in them. 
Um, and so you could do like waterfall tiles, or, you know, whatever, any kind of animation you wanted to add to your tile map, you can do uh, with animated tiles. So it's, it's super powerful. And it's a, the bunch of the features that are included, I was like, man, I really wish I had had this when I built the platformer game starter kids because it would have it would have made it better and it would have made it so much easier it's, it's really some really cool features the the tile set stuff is is amazing do they support uh, for parallax scrolling yeah so i mean parallax scrolling is just moving uh different nodes at different speeds yeah and so i don't know that there's any built-in like i don't think there's any built-in way to do that but it's not hard you can have multiple uh layers you can have multiple parent nodes with tile oh, okay, sets yeah. as the children. So you can set parallax up yourself without too much trouble. So, okay. so yes, parallax scrolling is doable. Um, I, I mean, the, the platform game starter kit uh, was rewritten in Sprite Kit, and it, it has parallax scrolling in it. And so it's not, it's not a hard thing to do. As far as the, the demo that Apple shows in their session does have parallax scrolling, you just say you create a parent node that has a series of child nodes, and then you move those child nodes at different speeds, and then you just add your layers to whichever child node you want them to be at. So okay. it's, not, it's not bad. Um, and the other thing about the auto-mapping again, uh, that I haven't mentioned yet is that it will... Edge tiles can be transparent, so you could have a water layer uh, with a land layer on top, and you don't have to create a tile that is part land and part water. You can just have you know, an edge tile of land and an edge tile of water and one layer goes on top of the other and it looks as though it's one tile that that joins the two kind of surfaces, but really it's two layers of two different kinds of tiles. And that, again, that makes things a lot more flexible, a lot easier to build kind of dynamic worlds without having to have your artist create every single transition tile for every edge and every corner. So to to enable that, are we just... just Creating a new tile set, one on top of the other, and, and changing something like a Z position or something like that. Or yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's exactly what you're doing. Yep. Mentioned that not only was all this available in in Interface Builder, but they also exposed a load of new classes to support tile match. So maybe yes. It, I mean, we have only got a few minutes left. Why we would want to manipulate a tile map and a tile set from code? Specifically in creating the tile sets. So, which is to say, setting all the corners, all the edges, all the animated tiles, all the different options and the weights. You can do all that programmatically, but it's just a big pain in the butt. They're like, don't use Interface Builder. But then once you have your tile set set up in Interface Builder, you can programmatically create you know, procedurally generated levels, which you, know, you wouldn't want to build levels in, in Interface Builder if you were going to do something procedurally. But you, you still, their suggestion is you set up your tile sets um, using the interface, and then, and then you can use them in code. Okay, so one of the cool things they added uh, is, is called warp transformations. So for a given sprite, it's rendered using two big triangles. So any kind of square in SpriteKit is rendered using two triangles. What warp transformations do is they take that square and they subdivide it into a bunch of smaller squares. And then you can then pick out control points inside that grid and you can move those control points around, which will warp the shape of how the sprite is rendered. So if you wanted to create kind of bouncing jelly-like creatures in your game, you could use warp transformations to do something like that without having to animate every, you know, frame of like a bouncing jelly gelatin figure animation. But what I have got a question about tile maps. Are you able to sort of attach arbitrary data 
the tiles? Because obviously one of the things you mentioned was like this uh, separation between land tiles and water tiles, you know, on this on this imaginary island. And obviously one thing that you'll want to do is not allow, or potentially not want to do, is allow your character to walk into water and therefore you would need a way to do some sort of testing. And I was wondering if you could sort of um, attach arbitrary data to tiles and tile sets to say you can walk on this and then you can't walk on this and then you can test for that in your code. Is that something that you can do? Yes, and actually I should have mentioned that because they, they cover that in the session where they show how they make the floors and the walls uh, have a certain attribute so that they have physics bodies and then those are represented in your code to control whatever. Like you say, the, the biggest, obvious, most obvious one is collisions um, and physics properties, but, but it doesn't have to be that. You can do other things too. Okay, and I am going to call it there for this episode. So thanks again for joining us, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. If you have any feedback or comments on the podcast, then please do get in contact via podcast at raywendlet.com. And don't forget to leave your reviews on iTunes as they do help a lot. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you all next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the raywendlet.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.